WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Good afternoon. This is Father Dwight Campbell back again for uh, the Marian Hour and I'm so happy to be here on this first day of Lent, Ash Wednesday. Hope you received your ashes. If you didn't, uh, hope you will sometime soon today. Just a reminder, today is a, a day of uh, abstinence from meat for all Catholics 14 and over and fasting for those 18 to 59 years of age, meaning only one full meal, meatless, to other meatless meals that can't equal the same, the main meal, and no eating between meals, although you can drink. So we want to obey the Lenten fasts on this Ash Wednesday uh, in order to start out our, Lent, our Lenten journey in a, in a good and holy way. <clears throat> Today I thought I would talk about Mary and the scriptures, starting with the Old Testament. And... <clears throat> The Old Testament uh, relates um, revelations about the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'll quote the Pontifical Bi Biblical Commission in, in a document from uh, 1991, I believe it was. Um, it said, The Blessed Virgin Mary is found explicitly and clearly in texts of the Old Testament, but only finds its realization in Jesus in the New Testament meaning that <coughs> we have to, when when we're looking for Mary in the Old Testament we have to read it through the eyes of Christ Christ has come he has enlightened us and <coughs> the whole Old Testament was ordered toward Jesus Christ and the meaning the full meaning of those Old Testament texts is only clear to us now uh, with Christ having come. And <clears throat> with uh, good exegesis, uh, we see many prophecies about Mary in the Old Testament. We see figures and types of Mary in, in persons and things in the Old Testament. And, uh, well, Mary has been clearly prophesied and prefigured, richly symbolized in the books of the Old Testament. And <clears throat> it's good to read the Old Testament. I'll, I'll quote uh, a great Jesuit, Father Ignace de la Poterie, a Jesuit who died a few years ago, taught for many years in Rome, who was a great Marian scholar, a biblical scholar. And he said that uh, authentic biblical exegesis requires a patristic mode of reading the Bible. Uh, patristic meaning f the fathers of the church. We must read the Old Testament in the spirit of the fathers, the ancient tradition. And <coughs> I'll, I'll from here segue into the first and I would think it's the, the greatest prophecy in the Old Testament of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, can anyone out there guess what that prophecy would be? It's the, it's, I, I gave a hint already saying it's the first and what I think is the greatest prophecy. 
we find it in the book of Genesis. And <clears throat> in the book of Genesis, the first two chapters tell us the creation story. Uh, but chapter 2 of the book of Genesis speaks of the woman. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, God casts a deep sleep on Adam and out of his ribs takes, builds up uh, another human being who is like him in every way but, but uh, the sex. It's, this is Eve. And as the scriptures tell us, chapter 2, this is verse 23, uh, this one shall be called woman, for out of her man this one has been taken. And <coughs> in chapter 3, in fact, this is the reading for the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, I can tie this into uh, the first Sunday of Lent. I was speaking about this this morning. I have a, a 6 a.m. Men's, men's Bible study, 6 a.m. every Wednesday morning at Mount Carmel Church. That's at um, 54th Street, uh, just off of 19th Avenue. If anyone would like to come, I serve strong hot coffee at 6 in the morning to, to wake us up. Although I had one of the things I gave up for Lent was, was coffee, so I didn't partake of the coffee this morning. Usually I do. And we were going over the Sunday readings as we do uh, at every Bible study. This coming Sunday's readings, a quote from from the creation of Adam, and then they, they go into the fall. And it, the third chapter of the book of Genesis deals with the fall of man, the fall of the human race. And it begins by saying the serpent asked the woman, did God really tell you not to eat of any of the trees of the fruit uh, or their fruits in the garden? And the woman answers the serpent. Well, uh, there's this dialogue that goes back and forth between the serpent, Satan, and the woman whom we know as Eve. And it goes on to say, the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, desirable for gaining wisdom. She ate it. She gives it to her husband. He eats it. Then they realize they were naked. The original sin has been committed. They lose that original innocence. Well, those references to Eve as the woman, she's not named yet. We don't see her name. This is important, especially in light of uh, we come to the first great prophecy of a Messiah. This is Genesis 3.15. It is called in theology the Proto-Evangelium. Proto meaning the first. Evangelium, announcement of the good news. What is the first announcement of the good news of a Savior? It is contained in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15. God speaks to the serpent, and he says, and I quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, Satan, and hers. And the New American translation which we'll hear a Sunday at Mass, or actually we won't hear Sunday at Mass. We, we, it doesn't quote this, but um, he will strike at your head or crush your head while you strike at his heel. Well, <coughs> the, um, 
the New American bases its trans the New American Bible bases its translation uh, of the Hebrew on the Greek, and if you go back to the original Hebrew, the pronoun that we t we just heard translated as he will crush or strike at your head, Satan, is a neuter pronoun, it, and. <coughs> that word it can be translated into English or other languages as either he or she. Now, properly speaking, it is Jesus who by his coming and suffering death on the cross, resurrection from the dead, he crushes the head of Satan. He defeats Satan. However, uh, beginning with and, and I'll, I'll back up for a minute here and say that the Greek Septuagint, the Greeks did a, the, the, not the Greeks, but the, the uh, Greek rulers ordered a translation done um, back in the, in the fourth century, the late fourth century of the Hebrew scriptures. It's called the Septuagint because supposedly there were 70 Hebrew scripture scholars that translated the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament that we know, uh, into, into Greek. And the Septuagint translation uh, translates the Hebrew it into he will crush your head. However, if we go forward a few centuries into the New Testament era, St. Jerome, he was given the the uh, commission by Pope uh, Damascus to, uh, pardon me, Damasus, uh, to um, translate the, the scriptures into Latin. It's the Latin Vulgate, uh, the, the common Latin as it's called. And St. Jerome investigated the, the best Hebrew uh, manuscripts as well as, as the, the Greek Septuagint manuscripts. And he decided to translate uh, in the Latin translation that Hebrew pronoun, which is ho in Latin, um, he translated it she. She will crush your head. And um, that is a reference not to Eve, okay, because the Proto-Evangelium, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and hers, okay, um, that woman mentioned in, in the Proto-Evangelium does not refer to Eve, but refers to the Blessed Virgin Mary. This has been the constant teaching of the Church, the patristic tradition, and the papal magisterium. Uh, why is this? Well, um, I'll explain because the the reference uh, there are references, for example, in in Saint Paul's Epistle to the Romans and First Corinthians, he refers to Jesus as the new Adam, Jesus Christ, the new Adam. He recapitulates the human race. The fathers of the church said this. Uh, caput is is Latin for head. Jesus is the new head of the human race, just as Adam was the head of the human race in the beginning. Jesus heads the human race with his coming. And 
the fathers of the church were able to to look at for example Genesis 3:15 and see this woman as a reference not to Jesus not to uh, the first Eve who sinned but rather to the the Virgin Mary whom they called the new Eve they called her the new Eve because it was obvious that uh, in this verse where uh, Satan is defeated well the woman is cooperating with uh, her offspring the woman's offspring is Jesus Christ and what the fathers saw the fathers of the church was that um, just as Eve the first Eve cooperated with Adam the head of the human race in bringing about the downfall of the human race that original sin the Blessed Virgin Mary is that woman in Genesis 3.15 who cooperates with Christ, the new Adam, her offspring, in bringing about the restoration of the human race in grace. I'll just read that verse again so you get the, the, the image. Uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, she will crush your head while you strike at her heel. Now, I used the feminine there uh, to emphasize Mary's cooperation in our redemption and salvation. Well, the fathers of the church were able to, to uh, glean from this text, the Proto-Evangelium, um, that the Blessed Virgin Mary was being spoken of here and she was going to be the cooperator with Jesus in in uh, restoring the human race to that grace which the first Adam had lost through his sin with the cooperation of the first Eve and like I said Saint Jerome when he translates the Hebrew scriptures into Latin he uses the feminine ipsa in translating that Hebrew neuter pronoun, it will crush your head. St. Jerome translates that as she will crush your head. And uh, the tradition of the patristics, the fathers of the church, the medieval authors, uh, was to, to use the, the feminine she even more so than, than the masculine he in translating that that um, uh, neuter pronoun from, from the original Hebrew. And uh, as I said properly, it is Christ who crushes the serpent's head uh, by his death and resurrection. But the Blessed Virgin Mary crushes the serpent's head likewise by her cooperation, her twofold cooperation. Um, her first fiat, which comes at the incarnation, when Mary says yes to the angel, Gabriel, let it be done to me as you say. And then with her second fiat, that is at the foot of the cross, where she again says yes to the Father's will and offers herself with her son to the Father for our redemption. And uh, I'll just go into um, another aspect of, of what I've been talking about here um, in regard to 
Mary being the new Eve, because this is a theme that that was, you could say, begun in the very early church, in the early centuries of the church, um, the second and third centuries, we see references to Mary as the new Eve by the early Christian writers, the apostolic fathers and the fathers of the church which come after them. Uh, St. Justin Martyr, who died in about 150, St. Irenaeus, who died in about the year 180, uh, Tertullian, who died, um, I think it was the early 3rd century, if not the late, late 2nd century. And uh, as I mentioned, they were able to, to look at these passages from St. Paul, Romans 5, uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 12 to 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 to 22. Uh, although these verses don't mention Mary, they do mention Christ as the new Adam. And the fathers, considering how Mary was cooperating with Jesus in our redemption and salvation, began to speak of her as the new Eve. Uh, we don't really know the origin properly of the idea of Mary as the second or new Eve. That's difficult to establish. We do have these early writers who make reference to Mary being the new Eve. Um, John Henry Cardinal Newman, who's now a saint, just canonized a few months ago, he speculated that um, the idea that Mary was the new Eve uh, was taken from even the apostolic preaching and uh, that it belonged to the early catechesis of the church, even in the, the first and second centuries. And then we see the writers like St. Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, uh, speak of this. And the, the parallel between Mary and the new Eve and, and uh, the first Eve is, is made with, with uh, the idea that um, you know, Eve succumbed to the temptation of the serpent, uh, was disobedient to God, and her disobedience helped to bring about the fall of the human race. With Mary, she is obedient to God, and the fathers of the church saw a parallel between the dialogue between Eve and the serpent, which I referred to um, at the beginning of, of my talk this afternoon. Um, you don't dialogue with the devil. Eve, Eve did this, and it, it led to her downfall. And, um, but the fathers saw a parallel between that dialogue between Eve and the serpent and Mary and her dialogue with Gabriel, saying, let it be done to me as you say, her obedience in faith. So, Father, we're going to have to take a break. Um, you're listening if you're just tuning in to the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. And this is your third episode, Father, right? It is. Episode number three, one for each member of the Trinity. Okay, stay tuned. We'll be right back at WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio.
This is John Wood, author of Ordinary Lives, Extraordinary Mission, and I just want to encourage everyone to support WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio. Uh, Catholic Radio does so many great things, spreads our faith, it's so needed in this time, and I want everybody to get on board. Uh, people's lives are being changed. It's a great avenue for evangelization and um, inspiring all of us to become the saints we were created to be. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Do you plan on attending the Men of Christ Conference Saturday, March 14th? Please stop by the Catholic Financial Life booth and get a free promotional item and ask for me, Matt Tomlinson, and meet The Voice. Also, stop by WSFI 88.5 FM's booth and pick up a WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio Magnet for your car. Help spread the word about WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio. Hope to see you there. Hello, this is Father Dwight Campbell. We're back with the Marian Hour speaking about um, Mary in the Old Testament and the first and what I think is the greatest revelation about Mary from the Old Testament, the Proto-Evangelium, the Proto-Gospel, the first announcement of the Good News, which took place right after that original sin was committed. God speaks to the serpent, I will put enmities between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed or offspring and hers, and either he or she will crush your head. Um, as I mentioned in, in the first segment, the Hebrew uh, is a neuter pronoun. It will crush your head, which, depending upon the translation you use, the Greek translation from the Septuagint, uh, it referred to uh, that uh, the, the, the person that would crush the head of the serpent as he. With St. Jerome, however, he translated the Hebrew pronoun, which translates as it, as she with a clearer understanding that this was the Blessed Virgin Mary. And with this idea, uh, the development took place of Mary as the new Eve or the second Eve. And I'll, I'll just go through some, some history. I mentioned, you know, St. Justin 
the martyr, St. Irenaeus. Um, they refer to Mary as the new Eve. And in the East, in the centuries that followed, I'll just give some examples here. St. Gregory of Nyssa, he contrasts, contrasts Mary's joy in childbirth with Eve's sorrow and pain. If you remember from the book of Genesis, right after that Proto-Evangelium, God speaks to the woman. He says, you will give birth to children in pain. Childbirth was not to be a painful ordeal. P suffering, as well as death, came about through the original sin. And I'm told now that giving childbirth is a painful experience. I do not have any firsthand experience of this myself, but uh, I'm told by women that, yes, it is painful, and this was one of the punishments for original sin. And St. Gregory of Nyssa contrasts Mary's joy in giving childbirth because uh, the patristic tradition uh, holds that Mary had no pain in giving birth. It was a miraculous birth. Yes, uh, I was just going to say, is that... Uh, I'm chiming in right now. Um, I'm Ann. And um, I was thinking at the time you just said that, that she was free of original sin. So if you're saying that there was no pain in that uh, birth, then that was part of the reason why? Part of the reason, and because she was the mother of God as well. Okay. And the, the birth of Jesus came about... Um, uh, in in this fashion where Mary would, would not have undergone the pangs of childbirth. And some of the fathers of the church describe it as likened it to Jesus, you know, passing through the tomb, the, the stone, um, uh, without removing it. So Mary's virginity is left un intact in childbirth. That is a dogma of the church, by the way. She's a virgin, a triple virginity in conceiving Jesus and giving birth and forever after. And it was a painless birth. That's, that's the consensus. Although you have some saints that maybe have, have argued to the contrary, but this is the weight of, of, of the patristic tradition. St. John Chrysostom, he says that a virgin Eve, the first Eve, cast us out from paradise through a virgin, Mary, we have found eternal life. Uh, St. Epiphanius, who uh, lived in the 4th century, he applied Genesis 3.20, which says that Mary is the mother of the living. He applied that to Mary because the first Eve brought death to us. Mary is the true mother of the living because she brings life to us. The Latin doctors of the church, St. Ambrose, um, he is famous for a few verses. Here's one of them. Come then Eve, now Mary, who brought us not only virginity, but God. St. Jerome, he, he said, this is a kind of this is a, a very famous line from patristic literature. Um, death through Eve, life through Mary. And he also said, uh, Saint Jerome, 
The former drove us from paradise. The latter leads us to heaven. St. Augustine saw Eve as the figure of the church, the mother of the living. Okay. Um, Mary is the antithesis to the first Eve. Uh, in, in theology, we call this an anti-type. Okay. She comes along later. She is, she is an anti-type of the first Eve. Um, she contrasts with, with the first Eve. The first Eve is a, is a figure of Mary, but Mary is an anti-type because Mary obeys, Eve disobeys. The Eve-Mary parallel becomes very prominent in the, in the medieval period. Uh, one author did a study of this, uh, a famous author named Barre. He found uh, 200 texts between the 5th and the early 13th century that make reference to Mary as the new Eve. So there's this very strong tradition of Mary as being the new Eve. And um, the medieval authors, they would even look to other verses besides Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. Like I mentioned, you know, Genesis 3.20, Eve was called the mother of the living. Mary is truly the mother of the living. Genesis 2.18 refers to Eve as a helper to Adam. And this was applied to Mary, especially, can you guess when? Where, where is she a helper to Jesus? At the cross? At the cross, yes, at the foot of the cross. And this, this is uh, really one of the contributing factors that, that add to the development of the notion of, of Mary as a cooperator, uh, a co-redemptrix with Jesus Christ. She's cooperating with the redemption. She's at the foot of the cross. A helper like Eve was to Adam, Mary helps Jesus, her son, the new Adam. And I'm thinking of the wedding feast at Cana. There was kind of a helping and a cooperation there. Well, she asked Jesus' help then, okay? Um, she, she did help the bride and the groom out. You could say she helped Jesus in, in uh, Get off the manifesting, <laughs> manifesting his first, uh, or his divinity, his first public miracle. miracle. But uh, that idea of Mary being a helper to the new Adam Christ is really uh, centered in, in the, the foot of the cross. Where where she's assisting with her prayers and with her suffering, she's co. I like to use that term co-suffering. She's co-suffering with Christ. And um, I mentioned John Henry Cardinal Newman. You know, he saw uh, the teaching of the fathers as an enlightenment on this idea as of Mary as the new Eve. And I'll just I'll just speak to him for a few. Uh, quoting him for a few minutes here. I, I have a, a good article that was written uh, by uh, Father Michael O'Carroll. Um, he has an encyclopedia on Mary, and it's, it's excellent. If, if you can get a hold of it, I don't know if it's still in print or not, but um, um, he 
John Henry Cardinal Newman, now Saint Jan John Henry Cardinal Newman, the convert from from Anglicanism to the Catholic Church in the 1800s, one of the leaders of the, the Oxford movement. Um, he spoke of how the curse pronounced on Eve was changed to a blessing with the Virgin Mary. And I'll, I'll quote him here in his writings. He says, St. Justin, Martyr, St. Irenaeus, and others had distinctly laid it down that Mary not only had an office, but bore a part and was a voluntary agent in the actual process of redemption, as Eve had been instrumental and responsible in Adam's fall. So you can see that idea of Mary co-redemptrix there. Um, St. John Henry Newman continues, certainly the parallel between the mother of all the living and the mother of the Redeemer may be gathered from a comparison of the first chapters of Scripture with the last. And with the last um, chapters of Scripture, well, we, we also see Mary where in, in the last chapters of Scripture, can you think? Where? In the Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, the woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. And how does St. John describe that person? What term does he use? The woman. woman. Clothed with the, the sun, sun, moon under her feet. That woman, that's the woman from Genesis. And if we go to John's Gospel, going to the, the foot of the cross, well, actually, going to Cana, what does Jesus say when Mary comes up to him and says they have no wine? He says, woman. woman. What does, that what have does to this do have me? to do? Yeah, yeah, how is this a concern of mine and yours? And then at the foot of the cross, yes. again, Mary is referred to by Jesus as woman, mm -hmm. behold your son. So Mary clearly is that woman of Genesis. The, and the fathers give uh, a strong testimony to this, as St. John Henry Cardinal Newman says. And, and the devotion of the church to Mary, which had developed over the centuries, uh, was, was something that helped to bring Cardinal Newman into the Catholic Church. In fact, it helped to bring an, uh, another uh, priest friend of his who was in the oratory with him, Father Frederick Faber. <gasps> I'm reading the most phenomenal book by Father Faber. He was a contemporary. I didn't mean to cut you off, Father, but yes. he was... Oh yes, he was he was part of the, um, the the oratory with with John Henry Cardinal Newman. They were together for a while, and then they I think they went into separate houses, if I, I'm not mistaken. But yes, they were they were wow. both converts, and y you could say they both helped each other. Faber was was you could say more of a popular preacher in regard to the Blessed Virgin Mary. His book at the foot of the cross is marvelous. Is that what you're reading? No, I'm reading one on the precious blood. Okay. And he, I think he started a client fraternity of the precious blood, and he also wrote one in purgatory. But I guess it's a whole collection mm -hmm. of books that I'm... Yeah, well, Father Faber has a great book, at Mary at the Foot of the Cross. And, and that's just terrific. Um, but to get back to John Henry Cardinal Newman, you know, he, he says, speaking of Mary, being obedient, she became a cause of salvation both to herself and to all the world. Now, um, 
St. Irenaeus says this. He's quoting St. Irenaeus. Cause of our salvation. Who is the cause of our salvation? It's Christ. But St. Irenaeus, in th with this idea of Mary as the new Eve, he says that the Virgin Mary is a cause of our salvation because of her cooperation with Christ, the, the new Adam. And, you know, that's very significant. Now, I'm going to just um, speak for a few minutes. Uh, you know, I went through the teachings of the early fathers, the, the medieval writers, and now I'll talk about the papal magisterium for a few minutes. Our, I think we do have a few minutes before we need to break. Four minutes. Okay. Um, here's the papal magisterium the teaching authority of the popes. Um, Pope Blessed Pius IX, who uh, penned the, the papal bull Ineffabilis Deus, the ineffable uh, God, who that's how he begins his, his papal bull, defining the immaculate conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Well, he speaks of how the fathers of the church. The fathers of the church are the great saints of antiquity whose writings have been acknowledged as being, um, you know, faithful, very orthodox, being a true guide to uh, all the faithful. Okay. Pius the Ninth said in his bull on defining the Immaculate Conception that the fathers compared Mary with Eve to demonstrate the original innocence and sanctity of the Mother of God. In other words, that she was conceived without sin. Okay. Now, the, the fathers of the church didn't use the terminology. If you remember, that was my talk on the first show uh, uh, two weeks ago. The fathers of the church didn't use the terms immaculate conception. That terminology was not around then, but they were expressing the same ideas, the same notions, with their words describing Mary as the All-Holy One, okay, the one who was never touched by Satan. Okay, Satan never had a grip of her on her. And <coughs> actually, Pius IX, in, in defining the Immaculate Conception, uh, looks to... Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, as the first, at least what he, what he uh, lists as, as a biblical basis for Mary's Immaculate Conception. And if you recall, Pius XII, Pius IX, uh, in, that, in that papal bull, said that, <coughs> okay, I will put enmities between you, Satan, and the woman between your seed and hers. Well, the same opposition that we see between Satan and the woman's seed, Christ, is seen between Satan and the woman, which the fathers of the church and the tradition of the church saw as revealing the truth that Satan could never have a grip on Jesus nor on the Virgin Mary, because th this enmity was likened both to the woman and her seed, her offspring. Okay. Well, Father, we're coming up on a break. 
So um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Marion Hour with Father Dwight Campbell and Ian Oakley is here in the studio runs asking questions. And I'm, I'm sitting in too, Father. I love this hour. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back. Uh, we'll be right back after this message. Very good. of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Do you plan on attending the Men of Christ Conference Saturday, March 14th? Please stop by the Catholic Financial Life booth and get a free promotional item and ask for me, Matt Tomlinson, and meet The Voice. Also, stop by WSFI 88.5 FM's booth and pick up a WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio Magnet for your car. Help spread the word about WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio. Hope to see you there. This is Father Dwight Campbell. We are back at the Marian Hour. We are speaking today in regard to uh, Mary having been revealed in the Old Testament. And as I said at the beginning of the show, that the understanding of the types, the figures of Mary in the Old Testament really became clear only with the light of Christ in the New Testament. Now with Christ having come, we can look back on verses of the Old Testament and see how they were a prophecy of Mary. And today's show, I was really centering on the Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15, where God speaks to the serpent after that original sin. I will put enmities between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and hers, and she will crush your proud head. I added proud there um, because Satan's head is proud. Well, <clears throat> in in the papal magisterium, uh, the papal magisterium confirmed the teaching of the patristic tradition, the medieval tradition, the modern writers who were able to look at not only the Proto-Evangelium, but especially that verse, and then recognize Mary as the new Eve. <coughs> and I'm just going to go back to uh, Pius XI now in his papal bull defining the Immaculate Conception because it is important in regard to uh, Genesis 3.15 and seeing how it is Mary that's the Blessed Virgin Mary that's revealed. Uh, Pius XI in, in his papal bull Ineffabilis Deus repeats four times uh, Mary as, um, or refers to Mary as 
as the one who crushes the head of the serpent. So we see you know, a, a papal uh, confirmation of, of recognizing that, that it is legitimate to uh, translate that verse of Genesis 3.15 using the female pronoun and doing so in reference to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Pius IX was uh, four times very adamant about how Mary, and I'll quote him in one line, crushes the head of the serpent with her immaculate foot. And <clears throat> um, the um, papal magisterium, as I, as I mentioned a few minutes ago before we took our break, um, drawing from the patristic tradition, sees the Virgin Mary as the anti-type of Eve. Um, through Eve comes death, or death through Eve, life through Mary. That is, you could say, a summary of, of the patristic tradition in regard to Mary um, and, and her, her uh, great dignity and, and her work as a co-sufferer with Christ in recapitulating the human race. Uh, St. Irenaeus was very strong on that theme of, of Christ being the new head of the human race. He's the new Adam. And Mary is the new Eve who assists Jesus in, in uh, the redemption of the human race where Christ becomes the new head of the human race. And this recapitulation or reversal of Adam's sin has, you could say, a double antithesis. Adam, Christ, Eve, Mary. And this brings about universal salvation. So the Blessed Virgin Mary in Genesis 3.15 is presented as being associated with the entire redemptive work of Jesus Christ united with him in this, in this indissoluble bond. She's united with him at the, at the incarnation where she gives her fiat, and then her second fiat, as I like to call it, uh, at the foot of the cross. Mary is joined with Christ. She is in union with him. Now, <clears throat> from, from there, I'd like to return to um, speaking about um, other popes that have that have put forth this teaching in regard to Mary in in with Genesis three fifteen the Proto Evangelium, Pius the twelfth um, was really the uh, you could say strongest pope so far in regard to referring to Mary as the new Eve. He, his contribution uh, is, is really uh, uh, a papal stamp of approval, you may say. I'll quote here from some of his uh, papal encyclicals. Um, he says, and I quote here, this is from um, Mystici Corporis, his encyclical on the mystical body of Christ. He says, and I quote, Mary offered him, that is Christ, on Golgotha to the Eternal Father 
together with her maternal rights and motherly love like a new Eve for all the children of Adam contaminated through his unhappy fall. Okay. Beautiful line there. Okay, So uh, recognizing that the first Adam brings about the fall of the human race, Jesus brings about the restoration of the human race, and Mary offers her son, she offers in a holocaust her maternal rights, her motherly love like a new Eve. And <coughs> then I'll quote again Pope Pius Twelfth in his encyclical Munificentissimus uh, Deus. This is the encyclical proclaiming as a dogma Mary's assumption into heaven. And Pius XII refers to Mary as the new Eve in, in this encyclical as well. He says, since the second century, the Virgin Mary has been designated by the Holy Fathers as the new Eve, who is most intimately associated with the new Adam in that struggle against the infernal foe, which as foretold in the Proto-Evangelium, would finally result in that most complete victory over sin and death. And finally, I'll, I'll quote here, well, I have two more quotes. One is from his encyclical on the queenship of Mary. Remember Mary, she's the woman in, in uh, Revelation 12. <coughs> And that reveals her queenship. Well, Pius XII in his encyclical on Mary's queenship, which, by the way, I want to say something here. Um, some people have favorite movies, favorite songs. I have favorite encyclicals. And this is one of my favorite encyclicals, Pius XII's encyclical on the queenship of Mary. It's a, it's a nice, uh, you could say, quick read. I mean, you could get through it in about a half hour or so. Just marvelous on what all he draws together. He was such a good writer. A joy to read. Well, and I'll quote him here. Um, Mary, in the work of redemption, was by God's will joined with Jesus Christ, the cause of salvation. See, he's the principal cause of salvation. Inasmuch as, in the same way, Eve was joined with Adam, the cause of death. And then in that same encyclical, he goes on to say, the Blessed Virgin is queen not only as the mother of God, that's one of the basis for her queenship, she's the queen mother, just like in the Old Testament, Bathsheba was the queen mother of Solomon. Okay. Mary is the queen mother in the New Testament. Well, not only because she's the mother, but also she is queen because she was associated as the second Eve with the new Adam, Jesus Christ. So, um, Mary's queenship has this twofold basis. She's mother of the Redeemer, and she was associated with him as the second Eve with the new Adam. Pius XII didn't use the term co-redemptrix. He, he preferred to use the term associate in reference to Mary. Pius XI, his predecessor, used co-redemptrix a number of times. Pope John Paul II used the term co-redemptrix a number of times, but also used associate a number of times. Well, that idea of Mary being the associate is linked with Mary being the new Eve. And 
the Second Vatican Council refers to Mary as the New Eve. I'll quote here from Lumen Gentium. Lumen Gentium is the dogmatic constitution on the church. And <coughs> chapter 8 of Lumen Gentium is devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary. In chapter 8 of Lumen Gentium, this is again the Second Vatican Council, and this is actually paragraph 56. I'll quote it here. For Mary, as St. Irenaeus says, being obedient became a cause of salvation to herself and to the whole human race. Hence, the early fathers gladly assert with St. Irenaeus the knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. Wow. She's, she undoes the knot of Eve's disobedience. Wow. Mary is the entire of knots. That's wow. the title for Well, that's linked with the new Eve. She's the new Eve and linked with her co-redemption. Continuing, this is the Second Vatican Council again, what the Virgin Eve bound through her unbelief, Mary loosened by her faith. Comparing Mary with Eve, the fathers call her the mother of the living. And they say, death through Eve, life through Mary. And then, in paragraph, or in number 63 of Lumen Gentium, they carry the Mary, or the Eve-Mary theme in the context of Mary and the Church. This typology, Mary is a type of the Church. She's a virgin and a mother. The Church is a virgin, spotless, and a mother who gives birth to us. And this is uh, linked with Mary the New Eve. Lumen Gentium, number 63, says, and I quote, For believing and obeying, Mary brought forth on earth the Father's Son. Overshadowed by the Holy Spirit as the new Eve who put, who put her, her trust in God, not in the ancient serpent, but in the messenger of God. So, um, Mary is uh, a model of the church as well as the new Eve. I want to say something about devotion before I end here, because <coughs> good doctrine should lead to devotion, and good devotion helps to nourish the doctrine. There's a famous hymn, the Ave Maris Stella. It traces its authorship back to uh, the late 6th, early 7th century, with the Saint Venantius Fortunatus. And Ave Maristala, hail star of the sea. Mary has been called the star of the sea uh, from the early centuries. Like, like the star that guides the sailors to safe shores, look to Mary as, as someone who will guide us into the safe shores of heaven. And the hymn Ave Maris Stella, very famous, it's been put to, uh, there's a Gregorian version, rather simple. Um, there are other versions done by famous uh, composers like Mozart um, and others. 
but I'll just read some of the, the Latin verses and then the English verses where you see this theme of Mary as the new Eve coming forth. Okay, uh, The Ave Maristella, <coughs> Ave Maristella, Hail Star of the Sea, Dei Mater Alma, uh, Loving Mother of God, Atque Semper Virgo, Always uh, a Virgin, Felix Celi Porta, Blessed Gate of Heaven. And then the second verse says, Sumens Ilud Ave, uh, taking up that Ave, that Ave from Gabriel, Gabrielus Ore, from Gabriel's mouth or lips, funda nos in pace, establish us in peace, mutens eve nomen, transforming the name of Eve. So Mary, there, there's this theme of, okay, Mary is obedient to um, the angel who announces that she will be the mother of God. Uh, her obedience brings about the greatest event in the history of the world, which is the incarnation. Eve disobeyed. So, and it goes on, I'll just quote a couple more lines. Salve vincula reis, um, free the guilty or sinners from chains, profer lumen cachis. Uh, bring light to the blind. That's that's to us. This is what Mary does. She's she's. We look to her, the star of the sea. She's the one who changed Eve's name with that Ave that that the angel Gabriel brought, and with her obedience, gave us Jesus Christ. She is the new Eve, the second Eve. That's one of my favorite prayers, Father. Maybe after the show we can get you to record it and we'll put it in our prayer so that we'll be praying it every day on the air. How do you th what do you think? The Ave Maristella? Yes. Okay, well, I'd be happy to do that. I love the sung version. Is there a sung version? Oh, oh, there's I was I was I was yes, telling Anne that that um, there's a Gregorian version, a more simple version, and uh, many famous composers have have composed beautiful uh, music to to um, to accompany uh, these words of the Ave Maristella. Uh, I'll, if I have a minute, <coughs> if my voice is holding up, I'll I'll I'll, I'll chant. Sure. I'll chant the first verse. Okay? Yes, let's do that, and then we go right into the chaplet, okay. Father. We're down in our last minute or so. Very good. Okay, uh, go ahead, <coughs> Father. <coughs> Ave Maristella, Dei Mater Alma, Atque Semper Virgo, Felix Celi Porta, Sumens Ilud Ave, Gabrielis Ore, Funda nos in pace, mutans eve nomen. Very beautiful. I love that Gregorian version of it. Yes. That's beautiful, Father. That's all the time we have left. You and have we're going to take listening a quick break. to the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.